0: Good morning, Redemption Church. My name is Daniel. I'm a member here, and I'm really excited to be uh, sharing the word today, which is in Colossians 3. We're going to be reading Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Colossians 3, verse 5 reads, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put to death all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, which is... uh, which is uh, practices, and have put on the new self, which is being uh, renewed uh, in you, the knowledge after the image of the creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Daniel.
1: Morning, everybody. Um, if you are new with us, and, and this is one of your first times, just so you're not surprised by how we do baptism services. If you didn't see it on the way in, we do them outside, even in October. And so uh, after the sermon, uh, I'll pray, give us some instructions, but we'll just plan just so you're ready for it. I don't want it to be too much of a curveball. We'll head outside together, and we're going to baptize uh, Jim and Maureen Lurkwin. looking forward to that. Uh, before we get into the word today, If you would, uh, please pray with me now. Father God, we want to look to your word together now. We want to pray uh, that our hearts and minds would be quieted. We want to look to these words which have shaped your people for millennia. And we want to ask God that you would use these words not just to entertain us today or keep our attention, but ultimately, God, to change us in a deep spiritual way, God. Would you, by your power of your spirit in us, would you empower us to put our sin to death, God, to truly long, to put all of these things, Paul says, away? And to be renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator, God. We pray that you would do this. We trust that you can. We trust that you will even. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, In a famous comedy skit from the 1990s, a woman goes to visit her therapist. And when he asks about the problem she'd like to address with him, she explains she has this irrational fear but a real fear of being trapped in a box. So you're claustrophobic, he says. And she says, yes, and, and it makes my life very, very difficult. And he says, has anyone ever tried to trap you in a box? No, she says, but, but the fear of, of it alone, it's just, it's crippling. Then he says, okay, I'm gonna say two words to you now, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully, and I want you to take them with you, and I want you to incorporate them into your life. And she reaches for her pen and her paper to kind of write these down, and the therapist says, oh, no, 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 it's just just two words. We find most people can remember them. So she stops, she puts it down, and he leans in and he says, stop it. Stop it. And she's obviously taken aback by this, and as she tries to kind of make sense of it in her mind, he elaborates, you don't, you don't want to go through life terrified of being trapped in a box, do you? That sounds frightening, he says. Yes, it is. It is frightening, she explains, and he says once again, well, stop it. Now, Aside from being incredibly insensitive, which I realize it is, if, you're, if, if you are severely claustrophobic, I apologize. We're not trying to poke funny, I promise. Uh, the, but the reason this skit is so funny, I think, is because we all know this is just not how life works. <laughs> uh, you, you can't just command people to stop doing harmful, destructive things, right? It, it's not that simple. Uh, part of our problem, even, is that we can't just stop it. Right? Something has to change in us. Something much deeper, and, and we believe as Christians, something spiritual has to change. Back in chapter two, Paul told this uh, Colossian church to walk in Christ, rooted and established in the faith. And since then, and really throughout the rest of this letter, even, he is going to tell them how to do that. What does that look like? Last week, He touched on our thought life. Patrick from our sending church did a great job. He helped us to see that Paul told us to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. That was last week. In our passage today, he is going to tell us to put to death any sinful earthly practices that are still in us. And at first, when you read this week's passage, Paul may sound a bit like that therapist to you. First, he just says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. And you need list this long list of sins. And and unless we read this passage carefully, the entire thing really may feel like a big, stop it. Just don't do that anymore. Don't sin. You're a Christian now. Why would you do that? But we're going to see that that could not be further from the truth. Uh, Paul is saying much more here than just stop it, right? Now, he is telling us uh, to stop sinning. There is no doubt about that. But he does not just command us to stop. He also shows us why we should. And it turns out if we want to stop sinning in our earthly bodies, we need to embrace and live by a new heavenly reality. In particular, uh, Paul will encourage this church that he's writing to, and I want to encourage us this morning, let's live as if Jesus is the point of our life in the body. Maybe you've been wrestling with a certain sin struggle in your own life and are feeling uh, discouraged because of a lack of progress you see in it. I think we're going to see that how we try to fight our sin makes all the difference And this here is the key to putting our sin to death. It's not just about trying harder within ourselves. In fact, it's about putting off our old self and walking in this new self that we've become in Christ. And so first Paul explains a necessary change, and then he gives us a heavenly reason. So we're going to walk through the passage in those two parts, necessary change and a heavenly reason, and then we'll talk about some applications of what we see toward the end here. First, in part one, a necessary change, and that is, put to death what is earthly in you. And just a refresher here, Paul just got done telling this church in verse four from last week's passage that they have died, and their life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is their life, appears, then they will appear with him in glory. That was last week. Then here in in verse five, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And so we see this contrast really throughout the entire book uh, between heaven, right, where Christ is, where we're supposed to set our minds, where our hope is laid up, right? Uh, We see a contrast (laughs) between heaven, that is, and earth, where we now live in the body. And in particular, because we've died here in this life on the earth, and our life is now hidden with Christ in heaven, we now need to put to death what is still earthly in us. Now, in the original Greek, it actually says that we need to put to death our earthly members. He's talking about our bodies, the the sinful things we do with our bodies even, which I think is why Paul's first list of sins here is filled with mostly sexual sins. If you look with me, first is just sexual immorality, which is a broad category. The word for it is porneia. It's where we get our uh, English word for pornography. Um, And throughout the Bible, it just refers to any sexual activity outside of a committed marriage between one man and one woman. As the list goes on, he includes impurity, which is often sexual, passion, which some uh, translations render as lust, actually, evil desire, and covetousness, he says, which is idolatry. Now, covetousness can be sexual. Um, We're told, for instance, in the Ten Commandments not to covet our neighbor's wife, uh, but it's not necessarily sexual. Uh, Some translations render that word as just greed. But, but more importantly, I want you to notice that this covetousness, he says, is idolatry. It's not just sinful. It's not just wrong. It's idolatry, which means that we do it in order to give worship even to something or to someone other than God. And in this case, since we're talking about covetousness, probably us. We're worshiping ourselves. We covet. We want more of everything for ourselves. In other words, he's saying it's not just that we've mistakenly stumbled into these sin practices. That is not the case at all. In fact, they are the result of our cosmic rebellion against God. We hate that God is God. We want to be God. And this is why we do these things, which helps to make sense of what Paul says next. On account of these, he says, the wrath of God is coming. And remember, Paul just looked forward to the coming of Christ in a very positive way. Uh, he said that when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he comes, then you will also with him appear in glory. And so he was just reflecting on the eschaton, on the the last things, on the day of the Lord. But apparently, when Christ returns then, not everyone's life will appear with him in glory. For some, when he appears, the wrath of God even will appear with him. And the reason for this wrath, I want you to see, is this list of sins that Paul mentions that we do even in the body. On account of these, he says... The wrath of God is coming. Here's the really interesting part. If you look with me at verse 7. Paul says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Church, we used to be deserving of God's wrath in this way. And when we were, it was on account of these sinful earthly practices like the ones Paul has listed here. But now, he says, but now, here's the Absolutely necessary change, but now you must put them all away. And then he gives us another list, a second list of sins. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Notice these now are sins of speech. Uh, But yet again, Paul is focused on the body. Do you see that? These sins come from where? From our mouths. The point is, if we have really put off our bodies of flesh, including that mouth, and been raised with Christ, well, this needs to change, right? We need to put these things away. Now, do do you see, though, how this section, at least of the letter, could feel like a big stop it? Do you see that? Paul is saying we need to make an absolutely necessary change. This is not optional at all. We need to put all of these sins away. We need to put to death what is earthly in us. But thankfully next, he also gives us a heavenly reason. And that heavenly reason is this, that Christ is all and in all, including us. Including us. He begins in in verse 9 with another command. He says, do not lie to one another, Again, writing to this local church. And so his focus has now shifted from individual sins that we commit in the body to corporate sins that we commit in a way against the body, against one another. Now this, by the way, is our first clue that this heavenly reason he's talking about has something to do, which should not surprise us, with the body of Christ. He's been talking about the body of Christ the last two chapters. has something to do with that. He spent so much time on this, it should not surprise us. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that, or in other words, since, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so the reason we need to put our sin to death has something to do with the fact that we have, we've put off this old self, almost like a change of clothes. We've kind of taken it off, and we've put on this new self, which we're going to get to. We'll talk about what that is. But before we actually get into what the new self is, first it's worth noting, uh, whatever it is, it is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That sounds important, right? Remember back in chapter 1, Paul told us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He even said that all things were made through him. And so there is no doubt about it. This new self that we've all put on as Christians is being renewed after the image of Jesus. It is becoming more and more like Christ. And so Paul's reason... I want you to see for putting off our earthly sin, Paul's reason is a heavenly reason. For a Christian, to live in these bodily sins is to live out of step with the new heavenly reality of who we are. Now, Paul has already been talking about this spiritual change quite a bit. In this letter, Uh, if you've been with us, you know, again, that most of what Paul has said about this spiritual gospel transformation we've experienced has had to do with bodies, the body, our body, our flesh, the body of Christ. He's been talking about this the whole time. and In particular, he's been talking about the connection between Christ's body, which is in heaven, the literal one that rose from the dead, and his body here on earth, which is right here, the church. Back in chapter 2, for instance... He said that we have put off our body of flesh and we have been filled in Christ, in Christ. And then later, to drive that point forward a little bit, he, he even says why, this is the key, as if you're still alive in this world, assuming we're not, do you submit to these things, he says. And last week he even added, for you have died and your life is hidden where? With Christ in God. Where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of God. He's in heaven. That is the same Christ who rose again bodily to be preeminent over everything. Everything. This is the same spiritual transformation that Paul is talking about here. We have put off our life in the body, almost like a set of clothes, and we have put on new spiritual life in Christ's body. That is, church, the new self. It it is Jesus. And to some extent, in in a beautiful spiritual way, this new self we've all put on is the body of Christ. That is, it is the church even. I'm not alone in that interpretation. One scholar puts it this way. Doug Moo says that this language strongly suggests that the new self is not part of an individual or even an individual as a whole, but some kind of corporate identity. Now, this makes perfect sense based on everything else we've been seeing, Paul say, in the book of Colossians. And not to mention, it makes perfect sense based on what he says just next. I want you to notice This new self is not just a new and improved version of us. Paul actually refers to it next as a spiritual community that we have been included in. Take a look with me at verse 9. He says, still speaking of this new self, he says, Here, that is here, in this new self, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But, he says, Christ is all and in all. So these identifications he listed, these are all polar opposite earthly identities like the Republicans and Democrats today. It's like any sort of tension polar opposite. These are people who you would expect to hate one another just by virtue of having these earthly identities. But apparently this new self he's talking about is a community, actually, that totally alters our earthly identities. We uh, See, when people live in sin, according to the passions of their earthly bodies, typically uh, they're marked by the things that Paul has listed here in this passage. We're, we're marked by anger. We're marked by malice and impurity and lust and sexual immorality, for instance. And as a result of all these things, Uh, There is these factions between us, often based on these earthly identities. We see this all over the place today, this sort of retreat to tribalism, our group versus their group. But this is not a new thing, church. (laughs) Uh, This is an age-old problem. It was true in these days. Um, It was even true in the Old Testament days of Israel. If you just think back with me to our series not long ago in the book of Jonah, remember Jonah's hard heart toward the Ninevites. Jonah would have hated this passage, by the way. He would have hated it. Circumcised and uncircumcised? I don't want that new self. That's probably what Jonah would have said. But when we put off our old self and we begin to walk and to live in this new self, all of these different earthly identities become irrelevant. They no longer define us. Why? It's because Christ is all and in all. I, I just want you to think about this for a minute. What does that mean, even that Christ is all and in all? Church, I, I think it means exactly what Paul's been saying throughout this entire letter, especially back in chapter one. It means that all things were made by him and through him and for him. It means that all things are held together in him. It means that he rose again to be preeminent over. Everything, But here's the key, that everything includes us. It includes even our earthly lives in the body. Our life in the body is now his life in the body. And that is why we need to put, excuse me, put to death what is earthly in us. As Paul says this way in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Now listen carefully to what he says here. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And listen to what we need to do now as a result. So he says, glorify God in your body. Church, let's live As if Jesus is the point of our life in the body. Because he is. He is all and in all, including us. Including you, Christian. He is all in you, in your earthly body. Including us as the members of Redemption Church. He is all in this church. may have noticed that this is the subtitle even of our entire series. It's right there at the bottom of the slides. It has been the whole time. Christ in all. And that's because I'm convinced this little three words is the foundation of Paul's entire argument in this letter. Now he is absolutely telling us to walk in Christ, rooted and established. That's probably the primary takeaway for us from this letter. He does not want us to shift or to drift from the hope of the gospel. That's another crucial takeaway. But if we just look a bit closer and we dive a bit deeper into what he's saying, the reason he says all of these other things is that Christ is all and in all. I look back this week at the book Uh, just to get a sense of how many times all is mentioned in this book, how many times everything, all, in reference to Christ. Just four little chapters, 37 times. In him all things hold together. He is before all things. Uh, He is the beginning, the end. He rose again to be preeminent over everything. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. All, all, Christ in all. I want you to picture everything you care about in your life. Your loved ones, your home, your career, your favorite memories and leisure activities, that vacation that's coming up, all of it. Everything we experience in the body is all about Jesus. He is all in all of it. So when we go on living in sin, as if we are all in all, we're not just making a boo-boo. We are trying to steal his glory. Church, Jesus is the heavenly reason that we should put our sin to death. Because our sin is idolatry. Our our sin declares that we are all in all. And that's just not, it's just not true. He is all in all. And that needs to change the way we live. That needs to change everything we do in the body. And so let's just talk about a few applications of this. How does this really shape the way we handle sin in our lives and fight sin? Uh, When we are tempted to sin or when we're struggling to stop it, if you will, here are three heavenly truths to remember and to live by. And I want you to notice all of them are centered on Christ. First one is this. We need to remember and live by this truth that Christ has already delivered us from God's wrath. He has already delivered us. And Paul's logic here is pretty straightforward. If the wrath of God is coming on account of these sin practices, and if we know that to be true, well, then we, we can't go on living in them. We can't. Living in these sins would totally undermine all that God has done to triumph over our sins. We'd be like a child who gets ripped off of the train tracks just in the nick of time before the train comes barreling by, only to kind of wander our way back to those train tracks and, and keep playing around with our little toys. Church, we need to put our sins to death because Christ has already rescued us from the wrath we deserve on account of these things. We cannot simultaneously give thanks to God who's qualified us to share in his heavenly inheritance and go on doing the things that used to disqualify us from that heavenly inheritance. The truth is we have not put off the old self unless we've put off the old self with it's practices. This is not just a, a life change in our minds. It has to translate to real life change, even in our bodies. That doesn't mean we'll ever be truly sinless, not in this life. Until we are raised with Christ, until we are resurrected in the new heavens and the new earth, there will still be sin in our earthly members. That it, it, it's, this is proof. I mean, Paul wouldn't need to say this if that weren't true. But the point is, we can't just go on living in it. We have to put it to death by the power of the gospel. Uh, when we're tempted to go on sinning, uh, we need to stop and we need to consider, seriously consider, how does God feel about this sin? If you just roll your eyes at that and think, oh, that's just a corny thing to think, I'm worried about you. I am. I am. This is the God, the creator of all things, who has every right to make us for whatever purpose he sees fit. If we're not accounting for his impressions of our life in the body, we need to look again to God and his word. We need to consider what would me living in this sin say about Christ and his deliverance? What would it say to our single members? Next time you're tempted to just give in and have sex with your significant other, don't just tell yourself in the body to stop it. Don't just try harder. No, friend, set your mind on Christ who's delivered you from the wrath of God in his body and then let him be all in your body. Uh, To those of us who are married, next time we're tempted to lash out in anger at our spouse, our children, let's not just tell ourselves to stop it. Let's not tell ourselves, come on, do better. No, let's set our minds on Christ who has delivered us from the wrath that our anger deserves even, and let's let him be all in our marriages and our families. To those who are crippled by self-consciousness, Anxiety. Next time you're scrolling through social media, wishing that your life looked more like that person's life or your body looked more like that person's body, don't just tell yourself, stop it. No. Put that phone down. Set your mind on Christ, who has graciously delivered you from the wrath you deserve, and let him be all in the life you have, in the body he has given you. Why? Because, church, he died and rose again in his body to rescue us from the wrath we deserve in ours. Here's a second reason, heavenly reason to put our sin to death. Number two, because we are being renewed after Christ's image. Another heavenly motivation to put our sin to death is just to consider what and who it is that we are becoming. As Paul says, our new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Right? Nothing cultivates sin in our life quite like living for ourselves. It's kind of the essence of sin. But on the other hand, nothing kills sin in our life quite like longing to be like Jesus. Do you truly long to be like Jesus? Is that what gets you up out of bed in the morning, to be made more and more like Christ? One mark of true Christian maturity is that a mature Christian always has more growing and more learning and knowing to do. Uh, we never just stop growing and learning because we're not being transformed into the image of some really, really mature per- person even. <laughs> we are being conformed into the image of an eternal resurrected God-man in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found and in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells. Now that is a journey of sanctification that we should never grow bored of or tired with. We have such a long way to go. And yet, church, he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. He will renew us in knowledge after the image of Christ. And, church, that should motivate us to put our sin to death. If you're struggling to connect with the Lord and feeling Uh, spiritually dead or dry? Uh, Could it be that you've lost sight of this glorious spiritual renewal that's taking place in you? Uh, Could it be that the cares of this world have distracted you from this process of being made like Christ? Could it be that you have allowed a certain hidden sin even to take root in your life, and somewhere along the way, that sin has become more appealing to you than Christ. If so, if that's where you find yourself today, don't just do better. Don't just try harder. Don't just tell yourself, stop it, stop it, stop it. (laughs) Remind yourself instead That God is renewing you in knowledge after the image of his beloved son. He is in the process of rewiring our inner lives to make them look more and more like the life of Jesus. And if our Jesus is half as compelling, half as glorious as the Jesus Paul has put before us here, the prospect alone of that should be thrilling to us. Church, let's not just have a vision of what our life will look like if it goes the way we want it to go. Let's have a vision of what our life will look like if we grow more and more like Jesus. Let's set our minds on that. Let's measure success and growth by that. And if anything tempts us to drift from this gospel renewal to find spiritual life somewhere else in the things of this earth, let's put that to death. Let's put it to death because we are already being made like the one who made all things. Our final heavenly reason is this. Number three, we have been made one in Christ's body. We have been made one. See, out there in the world, people are all set against each other in ways that encourages and and even cultivates these kinds of sinful practices, right? We see it all the time. We have to get ahead and work, and so we sort of elevate or exalt ourselves at the expense of others. Uh, We have to win the culture wars, and so we seethe with anger and malice and slander, right? We want to be known, and we want to be truly loved, and so we chase after that spiritual intimacy using our bodies. And a long trail of conflict, animosity, often anxiety is is left behind in the wake of our idolatry. We begin to feel that no one can be trusted, because everyone is somehow a threat to our well-being. This is how it often feels in the world. Unfortunately, this is often how it works out there in the world, but that is not the case. It should not be the case here in the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. In this body, we are not set against one another. We are knit together in love. In this body, the new self We do not compete with one another for our glory. No, we serve one another to God's glory. In this body, the new self, we have nothing to prove of ourselves. No, we have an infinite, gracious, merciful God to praise together. And and for that reason, because Christ is all in all, including us, including this church even, we can live together in peace. Humbly confessing our sin rather than hiding our sin, and putting that sin to death rather than living in that sin. Let's not just come to church, enjoy the services, and then go back to our individual lives in the body. Now let's allow this fellowship we share in Christ to truly drive us, church, to repentance and to life change, to real life change. Let's allow this fellowship we have to tear down the walls of idolatry and sin that would otherwise tear us apart. Because at least in one sense, church, this body is the new self we have put on in Christ. And here, in this body, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, the earthly identities and statuses that used to, have a definition on our entire lives no longer define us. Now instead we are defined together by Christ and Christ alone. We can share our lives in love as if we are living and walking with Christ himself we should long for all people to be freed from their earthly identities and to be made one with us in Christ in this exact same way because he is all and in all, including us. It turns out, if we want to stop sinning in our bodies here on earth, again, there are some heavenly truths about Christ's body laid up in heaven that we need to live by. We can't just try harder or do better. We need to put off our former life in the body altogether, along with its practices. And by faith, we need to walk in a whole new body, namely in His resurrected body. Not just because it's the right thing to do, and not just because God's expecting us to do it, but because if we are truly alive in Christ, if we're truly raised with him, if our life is hidden with him in heaven, then he needs to be the point of our life in the body. Let's pray together. Father God, we submit these things to you. God, we bring in our hands, in our bodies, even a list of our own sins a list of what is earthly in us yet. And we ask you, God, by the power of the gospel, that you would help us to walk by faith in Christ and to live as if he is all, and in all, including us, God. Help us today. Draw to mind, right now even, God, specific sins in our life specific sins that undermine this new self we've been included in call these things to mind God and by the power of your spirit enable us to kill them enable us God by faith in Christ to put all of them away and to walk in this new self renew us God After the image of Christ, we pray in his name, amen.